Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us Monday nights, ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Well, happy Monday, everybody. Glad to see you here. Um, man, what a great song to lead us into this space tonight. Just just listening to those words washing over me is as uh, Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Uh, Jesus, the name above every other name. You guys, I, I know that when we come out and do announcements, and we, I mean, we've got stuff that has Encounter merch in the back, and we've got Encounter events that are coming up. Um, I really hope that you hear my heart in this. This is the stuff that, the reason that, that we're in the room tonight has nothing to do with that brand of Encounter, okay? Uh, there's a ton of people in this room who care about you, who care about you being pushed closer to the Lord. We are not the only ministry that's doing this on campus. There are lots of others who care deeply about you coming to know Jesus more closely and the students who are involved there. I don't, you may not even know this, but I meet with the other campus ministry staff every month or two to pray for you guys, to pray for students in the administration. We're doing that this week. Why? Because we want our own ministries to grow. I mean, I like our ministry, right? But... But Jesus is, is the one that you need to be drawn close to. It's not our programming. It's him. It's the king of the universe. I hope that he's held high in your life. In between these songs, we're not clapping because Jonathan's doing a great job. He's got a pretty sweet voice, all right? But we're clapping because the king of the universe, we believe that he's present in the room with us, for us. And some of you who didn't grow up in church, that's very foreign to you. Some of you who did grow up in church, that's foreign to you. That we have the expectation that the God of the universe is close and just to tell you where we've been, if you haven't been around, um, it, it is that question of how do we understand how to follow God tangibly? What does it mean to know how to follow this God of the universe who cares about us? And I said it week one this semester, so many of you I hear asking this question often, I want to go deeper. What does it mean to go deeper? That's what the first six weeks of our semester are all about. I'm just trying to be as plain as I can to say this is how you build a mature Christian life, not forcing you to do it. But I, I don't want you to leave here not knowing it. So if you remember, way back in the, in the first week, I talked to you guys about how sometimes it's difficult to talk about because on one hand, it's very mysterious. And, and the, the psalmist says this, Jeremiah says this, that it's like a tree. There's something organic and beautiful and mysterious about a tree, and not all of them are the same. They don't grow the same places in the same ways. They, and yet there is some structure to it. And so we're talking right now about what structures do we see in the Christian life that don't steal away from the, the mystery of what God is doing. And the very first one, if you remember, that we talked about was grace. Grace is our motive. The love of Christ is what fuels us as followers of Jesus. I showed you this diagram for the last couple weeks, but I, wanna, I, I want this stuck in your head, all right? This idea that if we are this tree, if this tree exists in our life, all of our nutrients are drawn up through the grace through the love of Jesus Christ in our lives, everything in you, the way that you survive the stuff that you're hoping to survive this semester is done out of the motive of the love of Christ working in our lives. And out of that, we see different areas begin to emerge up top. Last week, we talked about truth, and that really, quite simply, is, is about obedience. It's about coming down to this idea that, that if we love him and he loves us, then obedience will flow out, out of that. His truth is better than our truth. His ways are higher than our ways. And we should listen to those ways and we should understand them. And on a college campus, you guys, that's hard. 
I get it, because everybody sees truth a little bit differently. And, and to be honest, God's ways seem to be funky and different. I mean, the two big ones we come back to all the time are alcohol and sex on a college campus. And the way that a Jesus follower thinks about alcohol and sex are different. They're supposed to be. And so the, your parties should look different than somebody who doesn't know Jesus, isn't following Jesus. The way that you think about and practice sex should be different because Jesus has some different things to say about sex and relationships. Let me just give you an example with that one, okay? When Joe and I were dating, I lived in a dorm at EIU, Eastern Illinois University, okay? And I got to know really well the other guys on my floor. They knew Joe really well, okay? And so one day this dude who lived next to me came over and, uh, and held out his hands. I held out my hands, and he dropped a pile of condoms in my hand, okay? And I was like, this is not what I was expecting, okay? <laughs> I was a Jesus follower in college and trying to figure out the Christian life, okay? And I said, um, so, I mean, he and I had talked about Jesus stuff, okay? And I said, man, I got to give these back to you because um, you know Joe and I are trying really hard not to have sex before we're married. And that was both weird for him to hear and it kind of made him a little mad, Okay, so when I put him back in his hands, he was like, hey, I know that that's what you're trying. I'm not trying to be weird. I just want, if you guys do end up having sex, I just want you to be protected. So he like hands him back out for me to take the condoms again, okay? Weird back and forth to have with someone else as a private conversation. And this is where it, w- it ended up being a really cool conversation because um, I told him, I said, hey, listen, I'm not, this is not a holier than thou thing. I want to have sex with her. I really do. And I'm actually kind of scared that if I take those back to my room, it will give me an excuse. I don't want them in my dorm room, okay? I was like, this is hard. <laughs> Dude, this, is not, this, isn't a, this isn't something that is just like my own personal preference. This is something that we feel like God has called us to do. And so it initiated a weird but good conversation with a friend of mine in that time. Why? Because God had different requests of us. So, you know, were Joe, were Joe and I living like a holier-than-thou life? No, we were struggling toward the Lord in that. And so that's part of what we talked about last week. When it comes to all these different areas in your life, God has said, hey, my ways are higher than your ways. And and he's not been quiet about that truth. He's told us what these paths look like. And so, so a follower of Jesus who is drawn in by grace won't just reject that and be like, no, I'd rather go my own way. So But if last week was the only week that you came to, you'd have a pretty distorted picture of what Christianity could look like. Because that's actually kind of messed up, to talk about following Jesus as just obeying him. I mean, all kinds of scripture about obedience, all right? First, you want to read First John if you, if you want to question me on that one. It's all over the place. It's just not just about that. Because when scripture talks about knowing God, approaching him, following him, that second one that's up there is what we're going to hone in on tonight, voice. It's not just about obeying God, though that is a part of the Christian life. It's something deeper, something that takes us a little bit further, all right? When you look at Scripture, one of the key things that you can look at is repetition to understand what's important in a passage, all right? So take a look at this verse with me and see if you can identify any repetition in this passage. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, Let me say it again in case you're not picking up on it, right? I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Do you hear all the knowing language that's in there? It's all over Scripture. 
John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Matthew 7.22 is a super interesting passage where Jesus is talking about false prophets. And he says, in the end times, people will, in the judgment, people will come to him and say, hey, Jesus, didn't we drive out demons and perform miracles in your name? Like, hey, don't you remember all this good stuff we did? And Jesus' response to them is, I didn't know you. I don't know who you are. Isn't that interesting? The core of the Christian life, fed by grace, isn't just serving and obeying God. It's knowing Him. Knowing Him. There is an intimacy to our relationship with God. You can obey like your boss as an employee. You can do that, but that's not the kind of relationship that Jesus is talking about with us. As a matter of fact, the scriptures, I mean, it's, it's crazy how intimate the scriptures are when they talk about us. It says that God loves you like a dad, like a dad is supposed to love his son. As a matter of fact, that's the way that God relates to us throughout Scripture, right? The Father, constantly who Jesus is talking about. He's helped us understand. I mean, even, I know a lot of you in the room come from, you know, messed up families where you're like, I don't like thinking about God as my dad because you've not met my dad, right? That still tells me that you, there is a standard that you understand, you know that your human dad isn't measuring up because there is this standard of what a dad should be. That is what God is saying he is. He said, that's who I am to you. I am your dad like that. As a matter of fact, Jesus refers to, to God in this way, and then Paul reinforces it in Romans where he says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word, and it's tender, and it's intimate. Really, maybe a better translation of Abba would be dad. I mean, it's that kind of close, familial relationship. So my kids, when my kids were babies, it's kind of a running joke between a mom and a dad, because every time the mom walks out of the room, the, the dad is going, dad, 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 like to the baby, because you want them to repeat it, because you want that to be their first word, Okay. So you're cheating all the time. The other parent leaves the room, and you're like, dad, dad, say it, dad, 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 dad. And then you leave the room, and I know she was doing the same thing, ma, 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 okay? A little Aramaic baby who wanted to say dad is going, ah, ba, 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 ba. That's their first expression. And that's the tenderness that Paul is saying, no, 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 you ain't slaves. You're not servants. Your sons and daughters, who, and you can cry out, Abba, Dad. This close, intimate family relationship that we see in Scripture. And it's not just Dad, it's like Mom. There's maternal language about God in Scripture. In, in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus looks out over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Did you hear that language? I want to gather you like a mama bird under her wings. I wish I could have protected you with that maternal love. Jesus is talking over Jerusalem in that moment. And it's not just mom. It's also as a groom to a bride. It's also spouse language that we see in Scripture. That's how much Jesus cares for you. He's like, let me compare it to a person who's getting married. 
The church is my bride, and I am the groom, and that's how much I care about her. I fiercely love her. Revelation 19, do you know what it describes the end heaven being like when we arrive with Jesus? A wedding feast. Jesus and his bride are finally united. Did you hear the language there? It's not just us obeying him like we talked about last week, because again, that could be a boss or a master. What we're talking about is a dad, a mom, talking about a spouse. This is the language of how God sees you. Even a friend. There's a moment in John where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, I, I can't even call you slaves or servants because those don't know your mas- their master's business. You do. I can call you friends, he says. Man, it's so familiar. It's so familiar that the God of the universe would want to call us friend. The Christian life is not just about obeying God. It's about knowing God, knowing him, and not just knowing about him. Facts, like you could pick up on some bio, like some LinkedIn bio about God. It is not that, all right? It is knowing him, knowing him directly. And, And a relationship like that requires two parties that want to know each other. You guys, so I've been married for a while, Do I want my wife to obey our wedding vows? I do. I do. That's kind of important for me. It's important for her. But that that does not equal a successful marriage. Her obeying our wedding vows, she can do that but still disrespect me. She can do that but still kind of secretly hate me. She She can keep our wedding vows but be cold and distant if she wanted to. No, a thriving relationship is more than just her keeping her vows. A thriving relationship with God is more than you, than you just obeying his commands. A thriving relationship requires two parties that love each other. And God has come to you and said, I love you as a dad. I love you as a mom. I love you as a spouse. I love you as a friend. And you saying, me too. I'm in. What does that mean, Ben? How do I do that? I'm glad you asked, my friend. That's why we're here tonight, okay? Because a lot of Christians understand this, or misunderstand this, excuse me. They misunderstand this idea of God's presence with us. And so I want you to hear me tonight that I think the beginning part of us understanding how we love God in return begins with having a better theology of presence, of the way that we understand his presence. We treat God like when we are having a great day and we have all our junk together spiritually, that he's right there with us. Or when we're having a really great worship moment or everything's going well in our life, we're like, man, I'm really connected with the Lord. And the moment that things go south or you decide to sin or you step over some stupid line, he's like, later, I'm out. Let me know when you want to talk again. And you're just sitting by yourself without the God of the universe until you decide to come back to him. That is a broken view of the God of the universe. His presence is a constant. You give yourself over to Jesus, you guys. His presence is a constant. He told us in Deuteronomy that he won't leave us or forsake us. He's told us that he's with us always to the very end of the age. That was some of Jesus' last words to us, Matthew 28. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, John 14. His active presence, constant with you. 
It's a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, Paul says. It doesn't go anywhere. His Holy Spirit isn't just taken off and coming back and taken off and coming back. We don't sing worship songs so that the Holy Spirit will show up. We don't have to beg Him to show up. That's not the way it works. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's, it's the Holy Spirit is God's active presence burning in your chest right now. He is with us. You say, okay, wait a minute. Why doesn't it feel like that all the time? Well, because you're human. <laughs> and our feelings are fickle. And that we do have some beautiful and special, what I'm going to call unique moments with the Lord. There are. There are times where he feels thick in the room. There are times where his Holy Spirit moves you and convicts you and directs you. And at times it's like, man, it feels like God is right here with me. And those are moments of unique presence. They do exist, I promise. But those don't mean that when you are not having a moment of unique presence that God has left you high and dry. He hasn't. His constant presence is a promise to you. It's a promise that you can bank on. And you can't demand his unique presence. Those moments are a gift. I can't manipulate them. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't necessarily be like, you know what? I'm going to force God to show up. I will worship so hard that God will show up. He's like, I'm here. <laughs> I was, I, I'm here, here in you, I'm here working through you, and sometimes I think we need to realign our understanding of God's presence from the very beginning. I, I have a mountain story to tell tonight. As it, as it turns out, this is a theme throughout this whole thing. I didn't mean for it to be, but it works, so here we go, okay? On a mountain trip with one of my friends, or with, with several of my friends, we were, I think it was Kit Carson Peak in Colorado, kind of in the, the southern part of the states, more of a desert mountain range, and we, we had hiked up to this base camp and set up camp near the tree line, and we were planning on trying to do one or two summits in a day. And so usually what you do is you wake up stupid early in the morning because thunderstorms often come in in the afternoon. So you wake up stupid early, like 2 or 3 in the morning, get all your gear on, and then you leave before the sun comes up, and you get as far as you can before there's daylight so you can be off the mountain when there's a risk of storms. Okay, so that's what we did on this morning. And here's what I remember. The beginning of this climb was awful. I mean, it was, it was really, I mean, not vertical, we're not rope climbing, okay? We're, we're, we're hiking slash scrambling, but we're not, we're not vertically rope climbing. But um, it, it was brutal. We were having to go really slow, and we were uh, doing lots of switchbacks and stuff up this mountain. But here's the thing, we're in between two peaks. There's one behind us, and there's one over here. And as the sun was rising over here behind us, the line of that sunrise from this mountain to this mountain was like visibly moving down the mountain in front of us. And I've never seen anything like it before in my life because I live in Illinois and we don't ever see that kind of stuff, okay? There's nobody else on the mountain. I haven't seen anybody all day. I mean, well, day's just starting. We, there's nobody else climbing with us. But for an hour, we watched that line, probably less than an hour, half hour maybe, we watched that line. You could watch it just slowly move. As we were walking toward it, it was slowly coming toward us. And we're all kind of spread out, and nobody's saying a word. I think I was out in front. And as that thing got within a couple minutes of us, I mean, it was just it was something I'd never experienced before in my life. And I was like, I'm going to watch that sunrise come over us. And so as it got a little further, I mean, as it was getting a little closer to us, I sat down in that spot, didn't say a word. The other guys sat there too. And we all just sat there in silence while this, the sunlight crept down the mountain like you could, you could just watch it and come over us and then just keep going as it's coming up the mountain behind us. And we all, I mean, it was a moment of worship, 
unlike any other one I've ever had. Wasn't expecting it, didn't see it coming, and it truly was. I was, we all just sat, even after it happened, we all just sat there for probably 10 minutes in silence, and Ken, who's a campus minister at Purdue, um, he was the first one to speak, and he said, man, every day here God does that. In other words, that was going to happen whether we were there to appreciate it or not, that creation was going to create something that gorgeous. And it was cool to be like, thank you, God, for letting me see that today. Thank you for letting me witness that today. Thank you for letting me be a part of that today and seeing you in it in a way that I won't forget for the rest of my life. Moses had a moment where he saw the burning bush, right? You know that story where he's out watching sheep and God lit a bush on fire, like a a magic bush that wouldn't burn out. So on fire, but the fire didn't go anywhere. And that caught Moses' attention. So he wandered over there. I have heard a dozen times Randy Garris, who will be speaking this weekend, pray these words out loud. Hey, God, if you want my attention today, you have it. You don't have to light a bush on fire. It's oftentimes the way that I hear him start this. God, you don't have to light anything on fire today. I'm paying attention for moments of worship. I want to pay attention to where you are at. Elijah, let me get the reference for you. Elijah, 1 Kings 19, the story where Elijah witnesses all of these supernatural events, or I should say just these cataclysmic events, earthquakes, fire, storm. And he's expecting God to be in these giant, momentous things. And it, but it, keeps, it says that, no, the storm came, God wasn't in the storm. The earthquake came, God wasn't in the earthquake. And then it says, and then a whisper came, and God was in the whisper. And I'm struck by that because, you guys, I think there's stuff that God is doing and working in around us all the time bushes that he's lighting on fire that you and I walk right by, completely oblivious, almost praying, God, show me something today. God, help me be aware of something today. And he's like, all right, I've sent 27, but if you need a 28th, I'll meet you there. I believe they're around you. I believe that he doesn't stop working. I think it's a question of, are we aware? Are we aware? There's this beautiful quote by Annie Dillard, who says this, beauty and grace are performed whether or not we will sense them. The least we can do is try to be there. The least we can do is try to be there. I think for most of us, the volume in our life is turned up so much that we miss the whisper. We can't hear the whisper. We can't see the whisper. You say, well, Ben, help me understand how to do that. Well, I'm going to do that a little bit tonight. Most of the homework tonight isn't on me. It's on you. But I'm going to start you there. Okay, let me give you some nerdy language to start off with. In the Bible, whenever you see the word prayer in the New Testament, it is almost always this Greek word, okay, which is prosuche. No, prosuche, okay, the the emphasis is at the end, all right? And you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand the Bible, but there's something beautiful in this word that I want you to get, okay? This, it, it means it's broken in two parts. That first part, pros, means toward, It's a proximity word. It's almost like you're leaning in toward God. And the last part is to wish, to desire, or to pray. So two parts to that word. The first is proximity. I'm leaning toward him. And the second part 
is this idea of me expressing the thing that I have to express, that wish or desire or prayer. So again, I don't want to get too geeky in a language lesson tonight, but I want you to look at a couple of other words that we'll see in Scripture from time to time. Proskuneo in the Greek is a word that's often translated as worship in the Bible. Do you see the same prefix? Pros? To bow down toward, to kiss the hand toward. That's literally what that word worship means in Scripture. Again, it's a proximity word. I'm leaning in toward God with my worship. Prosecho means to pay attention or take care. But what it literally means, that same prefix right here, pros, you see it there? That same prefix is to bend my mind toward, to hold my mind toward something. That's what it means to give attention scripturally. So I'm, I'm putting all of that up there just because I really want you to see that prefix, that there's this sense of leaning into God. How do, I, how do I lean into with my prayers? How do I come toward him in proximity? Not the sense that I'm just lobbing prayer requests at him like a Hail Mary, that there's an intimacy and a tenderness that comes to my, in my relationship with Jesus with how I relate to him and how he relates to me. It's tender and leaning in. So let me go the exact opposite direction, because this is all nerdy about prayer, okay? I mean, this is my language, but Brennan Manning tells a story of, and, uh, oh, where to begin it? I'll begin it with the daughter. He's sitting in his office one day, and this young woman comes to him and says, you're Brennan Manning? He says, yes, I am. He's an author and a writer. He's a priest, an Anglican priest for a while. And she said, my, my, we go to church and we attend a church. But my dad is, has had cancer for years and he's really doing poorly today. And he's asked if I could find somebody. And he said, and did you go to the, I mean, he doesn't know this woman at all. He says, did you talk to the people in your church? They don't have time to see him today. He really would like to talk to somebody. And I just thought I'd come and ask you. And he said, let's go right now. So he grabs a jacket and he walks out the door with this young woman and they walk up to this apartment and he opens the door and the guy says, who are you? He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you knew I was coming. He said, I, your daughter told me you might want to talk to somebody. I, I'm a priest. And, uh, and he said, and I looked around the room and there's a handful of things. There's his bed and there's some books and there's an empty chair. And, and he looks at the empty chair and he says, were you expecting someone other than me? This doesn't sound like you were expecting me. And he says, he dismissed his daughter and said, hey, would you let me talk to him for a little while? And then he said, hey, would you close the door? And Brennan says, okay, what are, we, what are you getting ready to confess? He said, I needed to talk to somebody because I've been confused about prayer for years. And I talked to the pastor at my church, and he gave me a long book on prayer that I didn't understand, so I gave it back to him and told him, thank you very much. <laughs> I still don't understand prayer. I've asked other people about prayer. They don't know anything about prayer. So he said, Brennan, what I have been doing for the last three or four years is I pull that chair up close to my bed and I pretend that Jesus himself is sitting in it and I pray to the risen Lord and Savior as if he's sitting next to me. I talk out loud. He said, I've had to be really careful because I don't want my daughter to think that I'm losing it. So I only do it when she's not around. But he said, for hours a day, I will talk to him. And I know that I'm getting ready to die. I know the time is close, and I just need to ask somebody who would know, am I losing my mind, or is that prayer? And 
Brennan said, it's the most beautiful example of prayer I've seen in a very long time, my friend. You keep praying to the man in that chair. He's with you. He's close to you. They prayed together. He left. A couple days later, that daughter shows back up at his door. It says, Brennan, uh, I just wanted you to know that my dad passed away last night. Just wanted to say thank you. No one else could come. You came. It meant a lot to him, him talking to you. I don't know what you guys talked about, but it meant a lot to him. And Brennan said, thank you. And he said, so he asked, he just said, you know, were you with him when he, when he died? And she said, no, I had to run out for some groceries. And when I came back, he had passed. And she said, and Brennan, the weirdest thing, the weirdest thing, that when I came back and found him, he didn't have a lot of strength left in his body, she said, but he had pulled himself all the way across his bed and died with his head in the chair that sat beside the bed. I heard Brennan tell that story. My question to you tonight is, do you know God that way? I can talk about the language. I can talk about the Bible. Do you know the tender love of a God whose lap you can bawl your eyes out in, that you could die in, that you could talk to, who can relate to you, who understands you? You tell me you know a lot about the Bible. I'm not impressed. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you lean into that kind of a relationship? Does that describe you? That's what he wants from me. That's what he wants with you. It is not just about obeying his truth, because again, we are not slaves or employees. It is about knowing the God of the universe who cares so, so deeply and desperately for us. That's what I want for you, that kind of a presence. Now, in the Christian world, my friends, I'm sad to report that sometimes there's some pretending. There's some pretending that comes along with what we do. Why? I don't know. Because it's embarrassing to, to tell other people that you don't feel close to God or that you don't know how to know Him. I, there's just this, there, it's almost like there's, there's a... There's a reason that we have that sits under the surface, a motivation, a motive that we have to try to help to, to trick other people that we're more spiritual or influential than we really are. And what a train wreck. Another artist, or another, another artist, another author named Calvin Miller, I heard him speak one time, and he talked about how he loved to snorkel with his wife. And I, I mean, I love to snorkel, but he said, you know, snorkeling, he said, you know, you're skimming the surface, you're looking down at the coral and the fish and the turtles and whatever else that are, that are going on down there. And he said, you know, and if you want to, you can kick below the surface and go down 8, 10, 12 feet and kind of interact on that level, but then you have to come back up again and you have to sit back on the surface. And you have, he said, I've always been jealous of the people who scuba dive. I watch them down, not just skimming the surface, but I watch them down below interacting with all of this stuff. I watch them on the bottom with, you know, with the, the fish and all of this stuff. They're in the middle of these schools of fish, and I'm always jealous of them. And he gave, he gave this quote as he was speaking. He said, it's my opinion that the church is full of snorkelers talking to snorkelers about scuba diving experiences. Whew. That's a pretty scathing rebuke. But I can tell you that it's often true, trying to impress each other with how much we know God, when oftentimes it's just language about how much we know about him, 
or other experiences that we heard on a podcast or something that we heard somebody else doing. You guys, I want you personally, you, each individual in this room, I want you to hear me right now. It is the God of the universe loves you as a dad, as a mom, as a spouse, as a friend. He has reached out with that love to you. He doesn't want you just to learn his bullet points. He wants to know you. He wants you to lean back into him. He wants you to, to develop holy habits in your life, not to just make you a more disciplined person, but because he wants you. I told you that you are loved and forgiven and seen and known. And the God of the universe wants to be seen and known and loved by you in return. That's the way a relationship works. He wants that with you, Christian. He wants that with you. The, when Nora was little, she's here tonight. Where you at, baby? I don't know if you remember this, okay? When she was really little, probably like three, we had this moment uh, where, you guys remember those old headphones that had wires that came out of them that plugged into things? You remember those? 1990s technology, okay? I had a big, a big pair of uh, headphones like that, and there was a song that I had on my phone. I don't, I don't remember what song it was, but it was a song that she absolutely loved. And she kind of toddled up to me because she was at that toddler stage. And she would, uh, I, I put the headphones on her head and I plugged them into my phone and that song came alive in her world. And she was, I mean, she didn't know what those headphones were. She didn't know what they did. So it was just magic, all right? You just see her eyes get huge. It's like, I love this. And she wandered away like this until she got far enough where it's like, boink, the, the thing unplugged itself from my phone. And she stood there, and I beckoned her back over and pulled out the plug and put it back in. Music came back to life, right? And she's happy again and starts wandering away again. Doink, music goes off, okay? And then she realized that's what the plug did. So it didn't stop her. She thought it was hilarious that this was happening because she'd walk away until it would come unplugged and the music would stop. And then she'd reach down and bring it back to me and I'd plug it back in. And that was the little father-daughter game that we would just play. You guys, sometimes in the, in the church, in the body of Christ, we walk far enough away from the Lord where we are unplugged and we're not really in relationship, but we pretend that music is still rolling with other people because we don't want to admit where we're at. If that's you, I'm glad you're here. But I am begging you to lean back in, that language of prayer, to lean back in toward the Lord. He loves you. He wants that with you. He cares about you. So let me just put this question on the board, and I want it to linger for a moment. What keeps you from leaning in? I recognize in this moment, you probably don't have the ability to do this question justice. It's too big. Two minutes is not enough. I could, I, I could stay quiet right now. You could come up with a couple of things maybe. I legitimately am going to ask you to spend an hour this week with that question alone, somewhere, somewhere private. God, help me understand what is a barrier in my life that keeps me from leaning into you right now. I am not just talking about obedience, you guys. I am talking about a love relationship with the God of the universe who wants you to love him back. What keeps you from that? What are the barriers to that in your life? Joe and I, uh, in, in November, December, was a... Uh, I, I still live my life in semesters, you guys, because I'm, I'm with you, all right? So I, live, I track my life still by, you know, fall, spring, and summer. It's just the way I do life. And it allows me 
to ask the Lord to reveal, to reveal some things about habits that I've made. And so oftentimes we do that. We do that at the end of the school year. We do that during Christmas. And as I spent time praying through the Christmas season, you guys, about my own rhythms, God convicted me of a bunch of stuff. As, as I was praying through this question, God, I want to lean in more. I spend too much time on my phone. I'm too distracted by it. I like reading articles about weird things like Russia and Ukraine and, and Chinese balloons and all kinds of random stuff, okay? And I get sucked into those articles, and I find myself an hour later being like, I am not. One of those articles would have sufficed, okay? And I'm not a better person for having disappeared down the rabbit hole for an hour into that stuff. And so I, create, like, I, I looked at that and was like, all right. I, I love to read, and so I got a different device that I could read on that doesn't have apps and that it doesn't have email notifications and texts and all the other stuff. So I could read stuff that was more filling to my soul. All right, that was, that was one behavior. Joe and I were talking through marriage stuff and we were like, we decided to go through a book together and we set aside Tuesday mornings for that. We decided that some good Sabbath principles would be way better for our family. And so we set aside a few dates on the calendar to do that. We just looked at these different areas of our life to be like, what is keeping us God, from leaning in in the areas that we know you've called us to. I know he's called me to be a good dad and husband. I know he's called me to love him well. So are you brave enough to sit with this question for a while? God, what are the barriers that keep me from just leaning into you? And I have to tell you guys, I was so tempted tonight. This is what I really wanted to do. I wanted to hand you a sheet of 400 ideas of ways you could lean in. Like, I wanted to be super, it's so hard for me not to be practical. I'm a fix-it person, okay? So I want to hand you this sheet of all these different ways, all these different beautiful practices that you can have. And I really felt convicted that that's not what tonight was supposed to be. That it's not about me showing you the path. It's about you leaning in and saying, Lord, help me find the answers to these questions. There's, such, there's a beautiful passage Jesus himself says it in Matthew. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And perhaps you've heard this before, but the verb tense in this verse is called the imperfect imperative, which we don't have in English. The verb tense here is probably best translated as this. It's an action that happens and should continue happening, okay? So, therefore, this should read, ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, Jesus says. These are Jesus' words himself to you. Ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And what will happen? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So really, it would be a bad idea tonight for me to dump all these different things and beg you to try three of them in your own life. No, you have other people around you who are trying to seek God out too, who are trying to know him. So in your seeking, can you lean into those relationships and say, hey, what works for you? Like, what does prayer look like to you? What does worship look like to you? The beautiful thing in my relationship with my wife, you guys, I can read all kinds of books about marriages. We're the only ones who know ours. And so I can seek out wisdom from other couples, but ultimately there's this thing between us that's like, how do we want to be married? 
How do we want our marriage and our relationship to look? And there's this beautiful thing between you and the God of the universe where you get to ask and seek and knock and say, God, what are those sweet, tender things that we share that are unique to me? Does God ever teach you something so beautiful and unique that you're like, you know what, I don't even want to share that <laughs> with, with anyone else. I don't want to say it out loud because that's so special. That's such a gem for me that he would be that sweet and precious with me. I want that for you. You guys, in the Christian life, it all flows through grace and obedience matters. Don't get me wrong. Scripture all over the place. If we want to know God's voice, then we are going to have to learn how to obey his truth. Okay, the two, the two are tied together. But it is not about us just obeying him. It's about a tender God who wants to draw you in and love you close. One last thought for you. You can go without oxygen, all right? You got about three minutes before your body's dead. You can go without water, you got three days. Okay? Go without food, it's about a month. You can go without what I'm talking about right here, and your physical body will last a lifetime, a lifetime. But your spiritual self will wither. And that feeling of disconnect and purposeless and meandering that exists in your life will grow and be nourished. And God doesn't want that for you. And you don't want that for you. So follower of Jesus, ask, seek, and knock. Stand and worship together, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I believe with all my heart that you bless the askers. You say, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I believe that. So for each individual in this room tonight, Jesus, as they seek and as they ask, and as they knock, and as they keep on seeking, and keep on asking, and keep on knocking. Heavenly Father, would you meet them with your unique presence? I know your constant presence is a promise, but I pray you'd uniquely meet them in that space, and remind us just how beautiful you are. We love you, Christ. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, as we get ready to lean into this worship, I want to ask you to keep your head bowed for just a moment. And I want you to process on that question. God, what keeps me from leaning in tonight? Just stay in that space for a moment. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.